Miller. On this week's episode of Tiger Turf Talk, we host the Assistant Superintendent of Woodside Golf Course in Edrie, Alberta, Miss Morgan Creighton. This episode is one of the most powerful episodes that we've ever recorded, uh, discussing something extremely important in our industry uh, with the uh, role that she plays on her course. She has also developed the organization known as Women in Turfgrass Management, where she has created a mentorship program for young females who are hoping to enter the turfgrass industry. Um, it is such an incredible honor to be able to talk about this because it is such an inc- awesome thing to think about uh, what she's developed and having different mentors from across the industry, uh, female mentors to have those that are in need and in certain situations that are just starting off to better understand what to be prepared for, whether that's the labor intensity or just the overall stress that comes with the job as a turf grass manager on golf courses and sports fields. Um, but it is incredible what she's doing, and it's a labor of love that she's doing it in her free time to truly develop something that will hopefully grow into something that will be transcendent and truly be a game changer for our industry. So it's definitely an episode that you don't want to miss. We cannot thank Morgan enough. It truly was incredible to be able to talk to her about not only just her job but what she's doing now and how it's developed uh, during this COVID time where really a lot of things are hanging in the balance and she used the best of her time and has created this incredible organization that's going to change the outlook of our industry. Uh, We really, really hope you enjoy this episode of Tiger Turf Talk. Good afternoon and welcome to the 46th episode of Tiger Turf Talk. I'm your host, Drew Miller. Uh, we have an incredible guest on today uh, with a lot of great things going on. We have the assistant superintendent of Woodside Golf Course in Adria, Alberta, Ms. Morgan Creighton. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you, Drew. Thank you for having me on here today. Of course. We're excited to have you. Um what I'm curious about is is sort of how you got started in turf, um, being in Canada and sort of having, again, a climate that's not really um, the best for turf grass, which obviously you guys do a fantastic job up there. But just sort of finding the industry and sort of taking it by the horns and going into it uh, head on. Okay. Uh, well, I I didn't grow up on a golf course at all. I actually didn't step foot on a golf course until I was 16. Uh, But I grew up very outdoorsy. My family has a cabin in Northern Alberta and we spent all our times there. So when I started to look for a job, um, my sister suggested working at a golf course because it's outside and it's summer and I would get to be off by 1.30, o'clock in the afternoon and still have a day. So I did, and I absolutely loved it. Uh, I was originally enrolled in Grant McEwen University for becoming a high school science teacher, and I was doing that at night classes while going and working full-time at the golf course. And I quickly realized that that wasn't quite what I wanted to do with the rest of my life, and I was falling more and more in love with being out on a golf course and seeing the sunrise 
and having an entire day after you were done work to still go and accomplish things. And uh, one of the assistants there suggested that I go to Olds College. And uh, I hadn't really thought of it up until that point. So I enrolled from Grant McEwen and enrolled into Olds College. And now I've been in this industry for 13 years. Um, incredible. It's, it's an amazing industry. It really is. It's very, very welcoming. There's always different challenges and every golf course has its own microclimate. Um, Canada is obviously known for its snow. So that's one of the biggest challenges we have is putting the course to bed properly and getting your timing right with your fall fungicides and everything like that. Uh, I've been lucky enough or unlucky enough, I guess, to work at a couple courses that have POA greens. So POA is very fickle in the winter and you have to baby it like you wouldn't ever have to with bent grass. So you're looking at different sandwich systems with tarps to try to keep the, the soil temperature at a nice warm level so it doesn't freeze too much and you're watching your ice. Um, but I, I mean, as much as it's challenging, it's something, it's the only thing I know. So it's just part of the routine. It, I don't find it odd or, it, I mean, it's always going to be difficult, but it, it's just part of growing grass to me. Um, I, I really don't know how, was, how else to describe that. I've worked for some very brilliant people that want to try different methods to keep everything alive and, you know, are up and coming with how they look after their grass. And it's been amazing learning from them and seeing exactly what they can do and how far they can push the grass. And I mean, right now I'm just a sponge. I'm not someone to really go off about the details of a lot of things because I don't know wholeheartedly, but uh, that that's kind of my take on, I guess, winters in Canada and grass. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, uh, we had son Roseline, she's a sports trip manager in Colorado. Um, and I was talking the stuff that you guys do and we're in Virginia where we have sort of the both of those ranges where we have those cold, harsh winters. Um, but again, during the winter, we don't really have our sports fields being used like you would with golf courses. But uh, what you guys have to deal with is insane. And the way that you guys deal with it is incredible because and I I told my kids this is like. Golf for me just seems so much more difficult compared to sports surf. And don't get mad at you, sports surf mayors. We have our obvious um, difficulties, but you you guys have eighteen of them. You know, we have one, and obviously practice facilities and all that. But like when you take again, you're talking about your greens and taking care of those and making sure that they survive the winter. That's eighteen of them. That's not just the one. You know, so it's incredible what you guys do. Um, and Again, you're saying that you're not the one to go to. I think you are because 13 years experience does a lot and uh, it's <laughs> incredible. Um, could you sort of discuss your journey? Because you we were talking about how you found yourself uh, working at different golf courses and how it was a good thing or a bad thing, whichever one you want to look at it. Because I, <laughs> we have those moments in our, in our classes where uh, like, okay, this is a learning experience, but I'd much rather do this instead of having to deal with this. But I completely understand that. Um, and I think it's funny how we sort of had our switch where I want to be a turf manager sort of became a teacher and you were going to be a teacher and I'm a turf, uh, you're a turf manager now. Um, <laughs> can you sort of talk about the different places you've been and sort of how it prepared you for your current role at, uh, Woodside? 
Yeah, of course. So I, uh, I started out at Edmonton Petroleum Golf and Country Club as the dreaded high school student. I worked there for probably six weeks uh, before I did summer school. And I apologize, Keith, now I was absolutely terrible. Um, I mean, generally, I would show up to my shifts, or I would call in and it, it, it was very difficult. That was my first real job that actually had some form of a regime to it. And I don't necessarily think I was ready at that point. Um, my sister worked at that golf course, and she gave me a good smack on the back of the head and told me to smarten up. And, uh, you know, I, I look back and it's as much as I was that terrible person, it got me into this industry and got me to realize that it was a lot of fun once I stopped being a stupid kid. Um, and then the next year I went to Edmonton country club and I was at Edmonton country club for four years. And that's where I truly fell in love with the golf course. Uh, I worked year round there. So I, I got to do everything, which is very rare right off the bat in Canada that you're year round. I was lucky enough to help put the greens to bed, to do a lot of tree winter work and get my hands on almost every piece of equipment that they had there. So my first experience was was truly very broad and it allowed me to move forward quickly within the industry, I guess. So from Edmonton Country Club, I went to Olds College. And in my first year of Olds College, I was offered an assistance position at the Stony Plain Golf Course in Stony Plain, Alberta. And I was there for three and a half years as one of the assistants. There was two of us. And that's where I went through school. I did my applied degree there. So your or the applied degree was had a field study. So you got to pick kind of five topics of what you wanted to develop your knowledge base on. And it was a phenomenal property to be able to do that. One, because I chose a tree inventory for one of them and they have a ton of different varieties of trees. So it made me develop that area of my knowledge as well. Bless you um, for that, by the way, because trees are like my arch nemesis. I remember in school, hey, identify this maple when there are leaves on it. But at the end, when you had your test, all the leaves had fallen. So you're working off the bark and everything. So yeah, no, bless you for that. <laughs> well, that and that's the thing that was something that allowed me to develop that knowledge because it's not one I had before. So it was taking a picture of the tree and going home and learning the Latin names and the common names and all the identifiers and then trying to do some sort of risk assessment to it. Not that at the time I was qualified for that, but looking at any damages or any pests or anything that are, was around it, diseases. And it, it actually allowed me to develop a love for trees. Well, a love-hate for trees, I guess. Absolutely. Um, yep, absolutely. When... I was at Stony Plain. Uh, they underwent a major management shift. So then I went to the city of Spruce Grove and I worked in forestry and horticulture. And I worked with the head arborist for 10 hours a day for two years. And I loved it. I got my chainsaw operating certificate there. Um, 
and my bucket truck certificate. And that's all I did was we cut down trees, we pruned trees. And it was, it was a nice hiatus from grass, I guess, while still being within a horticulture based uh, industry. Um, I mean, there, there was all the sports fields and everything that you had to manage, not to the level of anything nice. I mean, it, it was random sports fields around a city. So it's not something that you really had to, had to manage that much. You fertilized once a year and that was kind of it, but it, it allowed me a step back and the time to realize how much I did love being on a golf course. Um, so I was at the city for two years. And then I went to Livingstone Golf Course, which is a nine-hole golf course down in southern Alberta. And my my sister worked down here, and she convinced me to leave the city and go back to golf. And there was this great opportunity. I was acting superintendent, and I was a fish out of water. Uh, not only from two years hiatus from the industry, but I had just graduated from my degree before I took that hiatus. So. Livingstone offered me the opportunity to realize where my deficiencies are, um, to take a step and really look at myself and what I can physically do, what I need to learn, what I need to develop to be a successful manager from there on out, as well as that was my first management role where I didn't have any other managers to lean on. So I it made me assess how I manage people and how I lead the crew and how I go on from there. And that place, although I was there for a short period of time, allowed me to develop myself more than almost any other golf course I worked on. Uh, from there, I went to the Glencoe Golf and Country Club. And that's a beast of its own. It's 45 holes. You have Poa, you have bent grass, you know, there's a little bit of everything. It's 450 acres of land. So the different microclimates that you have there are absolutely insane. There's nothing that's the same across the entire golf course. Um, and there I worked with, I believe, nine other full-time managers. So it was quite the change going from a nine-hole course to a 45-hole course. But having that many different managers allowed me the flexibility to start working on all those things that I learned that I needed to work on. Um, it, the Glencoe is an absolutely phenomenal property and the people there are so highly educated and so brilliant in everything that they do that it was easy to start to just draw from them to just listen mm -hmm. and really work towards where I wanted to be. Um, then now I left there in when was that end of March, early April, and I started at Woodside. And Woodside is difficult. It's, I mean, I, I absolutely love it there. The superintendent is also a female. She just started as the superintendent there a month before I did. So we're learning the course together. We're learning each other. Um, it's, it's very interesting. And it's a huge change working with another female. Um, and, and it's not something I ever considered before because I had only ever worked for males and around mostly males, but, uh, just the sense of instant comfort and peace that I feel working there has done a lot for me to actually take the time and work on my 
myself personally than just as um, myself professionally. So it's, it's a good track. It's a great golf course. Uh, the superintendent, Karen, and I, we, I mean, we have our work cut out for us. We're both coming from private courses and want to up the standards and up everything that we can and put a little bit of our own touches on it. And uh, it's, it's been a stressful but phenomenal year so far. That's incredible. The whole story, everything about it. Um, and now that's, that's awesome how both of you are approaching it. Um, and I think the big thing that you were talking about, that's really cool is the microclimates and we'll get into that here in a little bit, but, um, you were talking about how you attended Olds college. Um, I'm sort of curious, um, because again, you were talking about how you were doing different things while you were getting your degree, how it was sort of set up, you know, uh, for your courses and how, uh, college in Canada sort of differs from here in the United States. My, my sort of degree went, uh, where it was a four-year degree. I actually transferred in from a community college. So I did all my like sort of general education classes at a cheaper school and then transferred into Virginia tech and took my, uh, classes for turf. And again, the, the arborists and all the different things that come together in that degree. Um, you were working throughout all this and all these different courses and everything. Um, could you sort of describe again, what that was kind of like to be working full time and completing your degree, um, so that you're, you're more prepared for those jobs that you're currently working on. Um, because again, I said this to a lot of people, again, nothing against my degree or anything. I learned so much more on the job than I did in the classroom. And again, that's nothing against, any of that because it is critical the information that you learn and the science behind it but you were talking about how you got your chainsaw uh license and all the different things you don't learn how to climb up in a tree 45 feet tall and how to properly cut it so that it falls the right direction in a classroom you know uh unless that's the way it's set up in canada and i could be completely wrong and i apologize for that if you could sort of discuss that that would be great so since I attended Olds College, it's actually changed its format completely. Um, when I was there, it's, I guess, similar to most schools, I would assume, where you'd go to school for eight months and then spend your summers on the jobs. So because Olds was over two hours away from where I was working, I didn't work during the school year itself. Um, my first and second and third year were all in class. But once I got to my third year, the college started to see a shift in how they were teaching these courses. So Olds College now does inquiry-based learning. So you're on campus for four months instead of the eight months. Uh, that meaning you get to be at your golf course for the most important parts of the season. Well, here in Canada, I guess. So they intake students at the beginning of January and then they're done at the end of April. So they get to put the course to bed and do all the spring opening, which is huge because before we used to lose students in September, uh, just as all of the other students were going back to school and we didn't, you know, we haven't shut anything down. Grass is still growing. So it, it was a huge loss at that point. Uh, but when I went into third year, they changed it to we're starting to change the inquiry based learning. So my third year, I was there from January till April. 
And then I entered my fourth year as soon as I went back to work at the end of April. And uh, your fourth year uh, at Olds College is called your directed field studies. So that's, as I was saying, that's where you get to pick four or five goals that you want to complete for yourself to elevate you so that you can get to, you know, where you think you should be an assistant at the end of it. Um, and, and that's different for every person because everyone's had different experiences. So mine was irrigation work. It was spray work. Uh, it was some IPM programs and the tree risk assessment was a big one. And then I complete competed in the 2016 turf bowl, uh, at the GIS. So that was absolutely phenomenal. Um, but what that allowed me to do for my fourth year is work the entire time. Uh, at the time you had five years to complete your directed field studies, but I didn't want to take that long. If I did, I would never have completed it. So I finished it within a year and, uh, it, it was a lot different than I expected because it made you search for all the answers, which is what you have to do when you leave school anyways. And that's kind of why Olds has started to, or has shifted to that type of uh, schooling. So now all four years for you are as a inquiry-based learning. So your first two years, you're there for your four months. And then I believe they're shifting this year to third and fourth year being all online. Um, now I could be wrong. The third year could still be in classes, but I believe they made a shift with the COVID that pandemic that we went through. And um, so instead of sitting in a class for eight hours a day, having different instructors lecture you, you're sitting in one class for three hours and you have a project. And kind of every day you have a project and you have to present the next day and you're looking for all the answers. You're teaching yourself and you're you're in a group and you're all trying to work together to find the answers. Um, now, it's a very different way of teaching because not everyone will thrive in that kind of an environment. But that's why you're in a group and you're able to use everyone's strengths. Um, I think it's absolutely phenomenal. Like one selfishly as now a golf course manager that we get to keep the interns for that much longer. But two, it's a lot of what you will experience out in the field. Um, that being, you can't just have someone give you all the answers. You have to go searching for a lot of them and do your own research and make sure that's the route that you want to take. Uh, so you're, you're teaching these, these students at an earlier point in their career how to do that with having kind of a safety net behind them, that being the college. Um, so I, I mean, it would be very different and it's very different from the other colleges that are in Canada that offer turf as well. Um, so I, I feel very lucky to have been able to attend Olds because of that. Wow, I love the, the idea of going virtual. So that, again, keep being able to be on a course every single day is probably way more useful than being in a classroom you know and again dr gilder i love you I, it's not anything against what you taught me you're, you <laughs> but again being on the ground screw attack served me extremely well uh and preparing me for what it is today and again having the kids in my program being able to uh go out 
now during even a younger stage to see if they're interested to see if it's what they want to do i've seen kids that go on and they fall in love with it i got uh i have a girl interning with the steelers i got two kids on the west coast on golf courses uh kid in denver I can't count how many we have here in Northern Virginia that are in high school on courses. So again, just being able to see and understand that this is such a great opportunity, especially in golf, golf courses there. I've, I always use this uh, sort of lesson in class. I'm like, okay guys, how many golf courses are within a five square radius of our high school? There's over 15. Like think about that anywhere in the world in Canada and Europe wherever there are golf courses everywhere and if you want to go anywhere guess what you can go because you're able to with your education everything you're doing uh so i think it's incredible um you were sort of talking about this before i'm very interested to learn from you about again up in alberta you were talking about the microclimates and that's just from fairway 3 to fairway 4 stuff like that but sort of the hardiness zone of where you're at and again understanding when's the right time to put it to bed what kind of uh practices are you using whether it's growing degree days or understanding that yesterday was this soil temp versus again i'm just ranting a little bit but what is it about the hardiness zone that you've been able to sort of conquer and understand uh that's best practices for you and uh at your course so because I have been mostly an assistant, I really haven't made any of those decisions. I've been the one carrying out those decisions. Uh, a lot of applications here, we go off of temperatures, um, what we're kind of seeing, what you would normally see pop up for diseases or anything with what you're getting, uh, I guess, moisture-wise, temperature-wise. Uh, stuff like that. For putting it to bed, there's average times of year for the areas where people will start closing things up. And that varies greatly whether you're at a private course or a public course. And, you know, if you're able to just tell your members, Kate, that's it, we're done for the year. Or if you're a public course needing every green fee possible. Um, and it, it varies greatly. Uh, generally, in Alberta, I guess, we're closed up by the end of October. So your irrigation system's blown out, your tarps are on. Um, uh, I've only heard of a couple courses really, to my knowledge, going into November with that. And that's just because at any time, really ra right around our Remembrance Day, that you'll see a good snowfall. So you kind of want everything put done up buttoned up before then otherwise you're you're chasing yourself um but aside from that like i mean the microclimates they vary even on the glencoe that you know 455 or 450 acres one area of the course it could be pouring rain where the other is still sunny um so you're starting to see a lot of difference in not necessarily where you plant grass, but we had a certain type of grass over in one area opposed to another area. And one that's just part of renovation. So getting rid of POA as we're going. Um, but two, because different things can handle different areas. So you're looking at more shade tolerant or, you know, more winter hardy grass varieties that you can put in. Um, 
but again, I, I mean, I could be blowing smoke. I've just carried out plans. I haven't developed them. So that's kind you're of still a big that. part of it though. You know, you're still <laughs> a big part about it. And I'm sure they asked for your input because again, you've had 13 years. So you, you've seen it and you understand it, you know? So you, again, you were talking about microclimates and sort of understanding again, budding everything up by October. Could you sort of discuss your growing season? Um, and again, before you were talking about how you had poa greens, you sort of had to baby it is what are the different types of turf that you're working with uh, from sort of from tee box to greens? Uh, and how have you sort of seen on different courses, what those decisions were like? Again, you were talking about how making the right choice on the variety and the different types that you could use that are better for certain, again, situations, whether it's shade or something else, just sort of discuss all those different aspects that have come into play where you've worked in your career. Yeah. So for, most of the golf courses I've worked at, they've been bent grass greens. Um, bent grass is a lot more tolerant to winters. Uh, they don't require the same amount of babying as what Poa would. Um, some people just put a heavy top dress down for the winter. Some people tarp. Uh, a few people will do a sandwich system of some sorts that they want to do, but a lot of people just leave them with some sand and they'll be fine. Um, POA, on the other hand, is a finicky, finicky little thing. And it, it needs all your love. It, it needs to be protected. It needs your constant attention year round. Um, although it can grow absolutely anywhere and exactly where you don't want it, it will pop up. But where you do want it, it struggles for some reason. Um, you know, you see a lot more disease pressure, uh, although different disease pressure, but on POA than you would bent grass here. Um, you're, you're constantly spraying for anthracnose and fusarium. It just doesn't like our continuous climate of rather chilly Although right now we're in a heat wave, so I can't even say that. But um, for the most part, all tee boxes, fairways, rough that I've dealt with have been a mix of Kentucky bluegrass, perennial rye, creeping red fescue, uh, you know, some winter hardy of the bluegrass that's in there, you know, shade tolerance of the different rye grasses, creeping red fescues. Um, for the most part, that's from my understanding, what you see on most golf courses, those with larger budgets might have bent grass tees, collars, approaches, some even bent grass fairways. Um, but then you're managing all of those areas like you would a green. So you do need the larger budget in order to do the spraying, the verticutting, everything like that. Um, as for our, our growing season, we are kind of from beginning of May-ish to middle of October-ish. Uh, and that depends where you are in Alberta, let alone in Canada. But uh, on average, we're opening up middle of May. So already done some cleanup, a couple, maybe first mow, couple mows. And then you, it's generally off to a bit of a slow start. I mean, not that 
anything is really fast. But uh, once our summer hits, we kind of just have eight weeks, like eight weeks of pure summer. We have our rain season in June, which or end of May, June, which is generally just floods us. And then we have eight weeks of summer before we turn to winter again. So welcome to Canada. But uh, <laughs> it, you're managing turf for such a short period of time that you have to just give it your all, do whatever it needs. And hopefully it comes back the next year with whatever you've done to it. But uh, I, it's it's so different at every golf course. And like when I was at Livingstone, I was right next to the Rocky Mountains. So everything there is different. I mean, the golf course didn't open till early June instead of everywhere else that was within the area in early May. Um, you had We had to put the course to bed early by a month as well. And that's just because of the vicinity to the mountains. Uh, you go further south in Alberta and they get 35 degrees Celsius days normally. Right here, I'm in Airdrie and that's an anomaly. Like We don't see that kind of temperature. So it it's amazing the difference just for an hour drive, a half hour drive on what you'll get here. And every property is completely different because you might be down in a valley, you might be up on top. And that's, I mean, those those microclimates, you just have to take the time on your course to learn each of them and what each area needs. It's, it's hard to do a blanket statement for kind of everything on that. Absolutely. Um, and I, it's crazy that you're saying that's such, that's sort of that small of a space is that different. It's incredible. Um, thank you, mother nature for doing that. You know, <laughs> you wish she would just be straight up with you sometimes and she just decides, you know what? Nope. You can deal with this rain during a nine inning game in New York, or you can deal with this heat wave of not necessary magnitude, you know, to grass <laughs> out. Um, so you're brand new to Woodside uh, as of this year, correct? Yes. What, what have you guys been focusing on? culturally speaking because you came in right before that growing season started what have you been focusing on to sort of prepare for october and prepare again when you're talking about harsh winters we have like a week of like sub zero fahrenheit and we're all like oh my goodness we're, we're gonna die like this is insane you know that's probably more normal for you what is it that you're trying to achieve in order to prevent any winter kill on the course and sort of be ready for that may opening so what we're kind of trying to work on this year is our collar dams. So we have a lot of spots where the water just won't drain off of a green. So if you have any freeze thaw in the winter, you're going to get ice buildup. Uh, and there's a very small window for ice that can be on grass before it just kills it. Poa is, you know, right around your 90 days. Bent grass is 120 days under ice. And then you'll see certain death. So it, we're trying to work on collar dams, leveling out some irrigation heads to get better coverage to go in as healthy as we can. Um, we've started a verticut and top dressing program on our greens, as well as vent aeration. So just micro mini tines, uh, solid. And just trying to get everything as healthy as we can, get some sand down into the profile for some relief, some compaction, allow some air movement and 
water movement. Um, mostly this year, it's kind of learning the Focusing more on learning. we're focusing more on learning the course itself, what drains, what doesn't drain. Um, this heat wave is showing us a lot of areas that could potentially be issues. Um, we're trying to vent everything. We're trying to get some, you know, just some sand down. Um, and that's that's kind of our main thing right now is learning the course. Um, I don't know previously how much top dressing had been done on anything. I don't know how much verticutting had been done on anything. So we're starting for us at least to incorporate that kind of uh, cultural practice to our greens. Um, I don't like uh, we, there wasn't a lot of records left behind, so we're not exactly sure what the previous superintendent's practices were. Um, but she's, basically just starting from scratch and doing what she would want to see while we're trying to learn the course at the same time. So we know that there's some problem areas that we're going to have to try to fix. Like I said, that being collar dams or highly compacted areas where slit, uh, slit aerating the fairways right now to relieve or to get some air movement down into some of those areas. Um, but a lot of it is still recovery out of spring as well as getting ready for winter. Absolutely. Um, I'm curious, how aggressive are you guys verticutting? Uh, it's funny because when I was in Pittsburgh and New York, they verticutted, but it wasn't like very aggressive with the bluegrass. Um, is there a reason that you're verticutting and is it again, heavy, not heavy? What is it that you're trying to accomplish with that? We are verticutting very lightly. Uh, we're about a 16th of an inch down. Um, our greens have quite a bit of thatch on them. So we're just trying to pull out some organic matter, stand some of the leaf blade up um, so that we can start to get a bit more of a truer ball roll. Um, we, we're trying to alternate cutting directions more often than, you know, what might've been seen prior um, and just trying to get those greens as healthy as possible. The, uh, the thatch is one of the biggest problems because a lot of our localized dry spots is, are just because of the thatch that we have. Um, so we're seeing, or we're using a fair bit of wetting agents. We got a, Puck applicator for our hand hose and are able to spot applicate that, which is helping a lot. Um, our collar dams, the top of those dams are starting to dry out too. So we're having to do spot applications for those. Um, but, but yeah, just really trying to work on the health and because our thatch is one of our biggest 
problems right now on our greens. Um, that's that's our main reason for verticutting. Gotcha. Um, something that uh, it was we got to talk to one of the professors down at Texas A and M. Uh, there are a lot of different new technological advancements that are coming into the industry, whether it's GPS spray rigs or other uh, new different ways of measuring certain aspects of, again, maybe your microclimate so that you can understand the different aspects of your course. Um, how have you sort of seen that become sort of a standard of practice in Canada? And how do you see that playing a role in the industry moving forward? So I've really only seen those kind of advancements at the Glencoe and that's because the Glencoe has the budget to be able to do it. Uh, They had two GPS sprayers, which were absolutely phenomenal. I mean, the first year we cut around 10% out of our greens budget alone, um, our applications budget. And uh, you're, you're able to be, more exact so you're not getting any of the rectangles into the collars or anything like that you can dial it down right to the edge of the nozzle being at the edge of the green um so our accuracy picked up a lot with that um we also had a drone for a while um so we one of our assistants became a drone pilot and he would fly it daily you know, test the greenness, uh, even just to get some cool pictures that were up there, see how everything looks from above. Um, The issue that that I see with a lot of them is the expense to them. I haven't worked at a course that's been able to afford a GPS sprayer, let alone the subscription to have one every year. Um, and I think that's actually going to be one of the biggest drawbacks to a lot of the technology is the upfront cost and then the subscription costs yearly. Um, there has to be a lot of material gain out of that to make it worthwhile. So I, I really haven't seen a lot in my experience that's starting to shift that way. Gotcha. Completely understand because... We've been trying to buy things and the upfront cost is ridiculous. You got to love that, you know? (laughs) Um, Can you sort of discuss some of the challenges you faced in your career and um, sort of how you came, uh, overcame the adversity in that? I apologize. I can't talk for some reason. (laughs) Uh, That's okay. Um, You know, it's always going to be difficult being the opposite gender in a dominated industry, whether, you know, you're male in nursing, female in turf, there's always challenges that you're, that you're going to face. And, uh, it's, it's not so much the day to day. That's a struggle. Um, it's the year to year and then moving to different courses. That seems to be one of the hardest things. Um, I mean, I, I've been very fortunate. I've worked for a lot of great people that have wanted me to succeed that have pushed me whether I was ready to be pushed or not um but at the end of the day they all had my back so my struggles have been fairly I guess low compared to what some other people have gone through I worked at oh now I've told you everywhere I worked uh I worked at this one place that was very toxic um I I struggled there 
a lot. I felt like less of a human because I was female. Uh, that environment, working there put me into such a deep depression that it took me a long time to get out of. Um, I started to believe these people that I wasn't worthwhile, that I I shouldn't be where I was. And uh, it, it took a long time. And that's partly why I do what I do so that there's someone out there advocating for everybody, just telling them, hey, no, don't worry about it. Like, don't listen to them as much as it's hard not to, but you got this, you do belong, you're part of this. Well, screw those people, that's all I have to say. Um, but it, it is a perfect segue into my next question. Uh, you are the founder of Women in Turfgrass, a mentorship program that advocates for young women that are interested in starting a career in turf. Um, before we get into the nitty gritty part of it, could we sort of, could you sort of explain what was the inspiration and sort of uh, what is the purpose of the group as a whole? So I was lucky enough to be one of 50 women to go down to Bears inaugural women in golf event down in North Carolina in 2019. And uh, that event is more than I can put into words because it was 50 women in turf in some facet of the industry getting together and just instantly having some form of connectivity. There wasn't an awkward moment. You walked into a room of 50 people you didn't know and you felt like you were at home. And that's something that is so very hard to actually explain and get across properly for people to understand it. It's, I mean, you, you connect different with people who are similar to you. So to have that for the first time was absolutely amazing. Uh, there was a woman there. Her name is Kelly Lynch. She is a pure seed regional manager. And uh, she posed the question to the group, what makes you brave? And she, she asked that in the first day and I thought about it for weeks after I got home and, you know, I, I started writing it down. What makes me brave in my personal life in my professional life? What, what doesn't make me brave? What scares me? What do I need to work on? And, uh, you know, I thought I'm a grown woman. Why, why do I need to feel this way? Why can't I help people that are coming into this industry so that they don't need to feel this way? I mean, you know, if I'm scared of this, who's to say that everyone else isn't, that everyone else hasn't had their moments for that. And so from there, I wanted to try to find a way to help people, one, feel the type of connectivity that I felt when I was down in North Carolina but two, to understand that they're not alone when they're going through whatever it is they're going through and just have people that they can turn to and ask the questions that they may not, sorry, that they may not be comfortable asking a male or asking their supervisor. And so uh, that's where it started. I developed the Canadian mentor program and I'm slowly opening up to the States. Um, it's been a very difficult process because I do have a full-time job as well so it's <laughs> uh in the summer it kind of takes a bit of a side side burner but uh in the winter that's when I mostly focus on it and uh it's definitely a labor of love because I'm starting to see some of 
these females, even in just the two years, become stronger and more, more confident in themselves. Absolutely. It's an incredible what you're doing. Um, and we sort of talked about this before we started about how a lot, there are a lot of females in the industry and there are a lot of females in my classes that again are way more trustworthy than the boys. And I'm, I was one of those boys that couldn't be trusted. Uh, sorry, Casey Underwood and Virginia tech for breaking stuff. Um, but it's such a very promising group in the industry. Um, moving forward, you know, um, can you sort of discuss what you've seen in these two years and what you think moving forward, uh, the opportunity there are? I think I broke up a little bit. You know, yeah, that's okay. Sorry. Um, I've seen a lot of strength come out of people. Um, you know, I have currently in two years, 12 mentor groups. Uh, there's just over a hundred people in the program right now. And even the mentors, they're happy to just have other females to talk to. And the students are seeing a form of camaraderie with people that they may never have met before. Um, you're seeing everyone want to build each other up and help. And, you know, someone will pose a problem that they're going through and everyone's jumping to try to assist and you know people who are close by are offering site visits and you're seeing you're seeing a network develop and a bond that might not have been able to form otherwise some of these students have had pretty rough goes in uh, their first few years within this industry and outside of this industry as well. So you're, see, you know, pairing them with some strong female mentors is, is huge. They're seeing the drive, they're seeing the fight, they're seeing the reasons why this industry is so amazing. So it, it's, it's really hard to describe, actually, it's, it's something that, that, just allows people to feel like they belong and that they are safe to ask what they need to ask. I'm pretty sure incredible is the word you were looking for, but that's just from me watching and closely um, <laughs> with everything. What has it been like uh, work, working with some of the members? Could you sort of discuss uh, what that opportunity has been like in developing women in turf grass management? It's, it's been tough. Uh, I mean, as I said, it's not my full-time job. So I'm, I'm giving up my spare time in order to do this for myself, for all these other women. And uh, there's a huge appreciation. They understand that I might not be able to be at the ready right off the bat because I do have other stuff going on. And uh, they want this to succeed as much as I do. So it's it's just it i mean i don't even know where i was going to go with that honestly when i started talking about this i just i i lose my focus because i'm so i'm so happy that all these people are able to get together and able to speak i i mean i there's this one student that's 
so nervous about a lot of things and you're seeing her starting to take charge and starting to want to see change and be the change and not just placate people and take the easy route and you know want to make the change so that it doesn't happen to someone else you're seeing some of the mentors really step up and offer everything that they have and all the advice they have advice that they can give and time that they can give and having mentor meetups so that people feel yeah I mean COVID has really made it hard because nothing's been in person since I started this completely wrong time to probably start it but uh no it was not you're making such a big impact it doesn't matter what time you started it (laughs) but now now that people are able to get together and they're able to have that different type of bond it's it's just been so amazing to see the growth and it makes all the time that you put in so worthwhile absolutely i mean you're instilling passion into them to be the change and make such a big impact on our industry as a whole it's absolutely phenomenal um do you have any future goals with uh, the program and how do you see making that lasting impact in the future of our industry? I do. Uh, I would like to actually make this like a company its own thing and to be able to give all of my time into this. Eventually I would like to be able to host events and uh, right now I'm working with the Canadian golf course superintendents association and kind of tagging along to some of their events and creating a female side of whatever it is. And um, I want to work on just, just building it and getting as many females as I can into it. And, you know, I hosted a conference in February that was virtual, but start to do some in-person conferences and allow people that time to network and that time to get to know each other and build bonds. So that that's perfect for my next question. Um, Have you reached out to different industry organizations? You were just saying you did the Canadian golf course superintendent association, uh, but like STMA uh, sports turf manager association, um, the GCSAA uh, to incorporate uh, women in turf grass management into their organizations to create even more opportunity for women in turf? I haven't yet. So that is something that is on my list of wants to do, but I also have to be able to give more time in order to be able to, to do that. Um, like I said, I'm slowly opening it up to the States. I believe I have one group right now with a, a student that's in the States. Um, And almost all of the mentors are also in the States for her, but uh, it's, it's very difficult just because I do have a full-time job to open it up before I'm able to give more time. So once I have that aspect figured out, then yes, I will be contacting a lot more people. Absolutely. I completely understand. Um, Can you sort of discuss, uh, the mentors and the role that they play in sort of the, the program itself um, and how 
they have created that impact and sort of maybe talking to them, sort of their uh, insight on their experiences with what you've developed? So the mentors are a phenomenal group of women. They, uh, uh, they range from all different facets of the turf industry. So that is allowing me to give the students a wide variety of opinions on whatever subject there is. Uh, I've started doing a bi-weekly topic for the groups for everyone to answer, put in opinions, the students to ask questions about and try to get a, a variety of answers from, you know, your educators, your regional or your sales associates, your superintendents, your assistants, you know, people that have been in the industry 20, 30 years, people who've been in the industry five years. Um, the mentors in each group, generally one person has kind of taken charge to organize Zoom calls or phone calls or whatever it is. Um, now, that, that's not always the case, but uh, on average, that's what you're seeing. One person who is a little more of the A-type personality doing that. Um, the mentors are fantastic. Most of these are people that I have looked up to for my entire career. So it's very interesting seeing their answers to a lot of stuff I'm asking. It's like, oh, I'll jot that one down. Um, but it's, everyone wants to see everyone succeed. And I think that's, that's the focus from the collective group. So the impact that we're making on the students is to see the camaraderie, to see the support system, to see the fact that it doesn't matter what you ask or what you're going through, that you just have people there that you can turn to. And the mentors are turning to each other too within those groups. So I, I think it's a, it's a great thing for the students to see, but it's also amazing for the mentors to then have more people that they can bounce ideas off of. Absolutely. I mean, you're creating probably one of the best networks in Canada out of turf uh, overall. What are some of the messages that you think you've been able to sort of create and have come across to the students that are learning from these mentors? Um, some of the messages, some of the, words of advice that have really resonated with them and they carry with every day? I think the biggest one would be that they do belong. Um, and that's been something that I try to say in every one of the meetings that we have. Uh, but it's also, it's, it's true. It's not just something that I say. It's We do belong. Yes, it's male dominated, but that doesn't mean that we don't have a right to be in the positions that we're in or to work towards being in positions I want to be in. Um, I also tell people to be impeccable with their words. That's something that was instilled in me a long time ago, and it's been reiterated through different conferences that I've attended, different people that I talk to. And it's, you want, you know, one of the biggest things that the students worry about is the staff respect. And if you want staff respect, you have to be honest with them and be impeccable with your word. They remember everything that you say, even though you might not. 
So if you're not willing to hold yourself accountable to whatever leaves your mouth, then don't say it. Um, These students, they're bright. They are amazing young ladies and uh, they, they pick up on everything very quickly. So it's, there's not a lot of that kind of hard advice that I have to give them. They, they have a good understanding. They're good, solid. They like, they're good, solid people. They have good values. They have good morales and fantastic work ethics. So that alone, they'll be able to go far in this industry. Absolutely. I, I need to learn how to be impeccable with my words and I, I teach 200 kids. So I, I probably should get on that. Um, <laughs> I, so we had, do you know, son Roseline? Uh, uh, I met her briefly a couple times. Yes. Okay. So sh- were you able to attend that event? Uh, the U S open, I could, Unfortunately, okay. no. I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to bring that up to upset you or anything. Um, but she said something that I wanted to bring up. Uh, she talked about how that event, uh, she is excited to see the ripple effect that it has on the future of our industry. What you're doing and what you're accomplishing in your uh, organization, what do you think that's going to have that ripple effect? Um, and again, that was just one event for one week. What you're doing is continuous and the mentorship and everything that goes into that. What do you see this having an impact on the future of turf grass, whether that's in Canada, whether that's in Japan, where this can grow to be an international thing? What do you see and how do you hope that impact is on our industry as a whole? You know, I, I hope the industry becomes more accepting in all ways. And that's not even just for females in the industry. Um, my goal is to make people feel comfortable. Uh, like I said, to make them feel like they belong. So my, my hope for this is that I can get as many people and show the industry that if this many people are coming forward and wanting to be a part of this, that they do belong because unfortunately there are people out there that still believe that women don't belong in the industry. And so it's, it's one of those, I want to have people to bond together. I want people to see that this is a thing that's happening and to create strides in this industry with that. Um, I, I would like it to be a time where it's not needed at all. I mean, I I don't think that's going to be in my lifetime. Unfortunately, change is slow, but I, that's where I would like to get this to grow to is where something like this just isn't needed. And I love that because we talked about that before. I don't, I don't understand why people don't think like that, you know? Um, and it's incredible what you're doing um, with everything. Um, one thing that we sort of ask everyone, and it might resonate in different ways. If there was one thing that you could know before starting, again, you've sort of found your passion for the golf course and everything. 
um, and you've been so at so many different places. If there was one thing that you could have known going into it, what would that be and why? That it's going to be hard. I mean, like I grew up, like I said, very outdoorsy. Uh, there's no such thing as blue jobs or pink jobs. So I never came across an instance where it mattered that I was a female. Um, but it, it, it is hard at times. You have to put in the extra 110% compared to your peers. You have to prove yourself. You have to work hard. You have to do all these things and it's tiring and you, you know, people are still of the mindset that you can't show emotions. You have to, you know, think like a man, be like a man and do everything that you need to do in order to be there. And that's not the case. Um, I guess I'm expanding on all of this. It's not just one thing, but it's hard. Stick with it. I mean, it's worthwhile, but know that it's going to be hard and you're going to need time and just take a moment and breathe for yourself. And it's important to know all those things because the stress that comes with the job is definitely something to know before going in. You know, um, I remember talking with my bosses about their most difficult times. Uh, I spent one of those times with my, we were in New York and we didn't get uh, working for the Mets. We didn't get the tarp on the field. And I just remember my boss climbing this air bubble that was like 30 feet tall. And it was just like, Oh geez. Yeah. It's definitely important to understand that. And going in, that's something a lot of people don't think about. So one more thing before I let you go, and I'm sorry for all the internet troubles and all of that. And for taking so long, I really appreciate your time. We have females in our program who have taken that leap. Uh, again, like I said, one of mine, uh, students is currently in Pittsburgh working for the Steelers um, and is at college for turf. Uh, and I have another one on a golf course this year. What would be your best words of advice for them and sort of just approaching the industry as a whole? And again, from someone who's experienced all of it and who has all this great opportunities and learning, uh, what would you tell them and why? I think my biggest piece of advice for them would be to take the time you need for yourself, even though this industry is hard. Um, that being, you're going to give 110%. You're going to work yourself till you're exhausted and to the breaking point. And you need to realize that this is still just a job going to be there tomorrow it's grass might be a little wilty but it'll be there take the time because if you can't work on you and you can't bring your best self to work you're not going to be the person that work needs you to be when you're there and uh, I, I don't know if that necessarily just applies for this industry but I think as a whole we're seeing a shift towards you know your mental understanding what you need for your mental well-being, understanding what you need for yourself. And I think that that's something we all need to work towards is working on ourselves, putting our best foot forward so that we can put the best foot forward for whatever job we work at. 
Absolutely, especially after the year that everyone's gone through. And hopefully it's only a year because I can't take it anymore. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Well, I want to thank you not just for coming on, but for everything that you do. It is truly inspiring to all of our students here at Brentsville uh, and to so many more. Um, I can't thank you enough. Thank you very much. You actually are making me blush now. Uh, I I really appreciate you taking the time and listening to me drone on about myself. (laughs) No, (laughs) 